Hey, welcome to the Brainworms podcast, the podcast that, like Walt Disney's Lemmings, just dives headfirst into the garbage of, of literature and the written word. I'm Joe. I'm David. I'm Chris. And today we're going to talk about Norman Bhutan and his novel Empress Teresa. Um, this fellow was apparently a military dentist who gained a reputation for initially shopping this book to various literary forums and instead of accepting helpful criticism just got mad started fights um apparently also he got into just multi multi tier arguments um in amazon reviews so kind of an interesting fella um if you're if you want to dive deeper into the history of norman Bhutan, youtuber down the rabbit hole goes into quite a bit more detail and if you just want to kind of kill an afternoon, just go to Amazon and read the reviews because they're <laughs> probably um, better than the book. Probably. And if you just <laughs> if you want to follow along, if you're a listener or if you just hate yourself, um, the the sample chapter that we're going to be reading is actually easy to find on the Empress Teresa website, along with a lot more of this man's thoughts. So, you know, if that's a journey you want to go on, please do. Um, and before we dive into it, um, this is the first official recording of this podcast. If you like what you hear, uh, find us on your favorite social medias. Uh, we have a Patreon that will help us, you know, buy audio equipment and in these weird times, potentially eat food. Um <laughs> So yeah, and we also have a uh, a tip jar at ko-fi.com. Just find us on Brainworms Podcast. All right. So, diving in. But so before chapter 1, there's an author's note and I'm just going to read it verbatim. Please. Author's do. note. This chapter sets up the story. Chapters 2 and 3 will show Teresa's maturation into a teenager and introduce Steve Hartley, who will be critical to the story. The action will begin in Chapter 4. It's cliché to put a murder, explosion, or something of that nature on page 1 to grab the reader. But in Empress Teresa, the characters are the most important element of the story. The eye-popping scenes will take care of themselves later. So, uh, okay, then. you know, <laughs> very much like somebody um, explaining why they committed a murder like, to, <laughs> to justify it. You have yeah. yeah, yeah, is I, that I, it? Like, is he just saying, like, if you're bored as shit by this first chapter, it's not because I'm I'm a bad writer. It's because, because I'm 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 to, changing to the nature well. of, the, of storytelling, right? You know, I I feel like if you have to put an apology before your first chapter, explaining that chapter one kind of doesn't go anywhere, guys, but really stick around for chapter four. Yeah, it, it's you like have just started your book at chapter four. Yeah, it's like sometimes you'll hear that about video games. Like, all right, the first ten hours, they're a lot. But then it gets real good after like those ten hours. I promise. Right. Yeah, quick, or like. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sorry, David. Go ahead, because I, I I have a bit of a spiel. 
Oh, no problem. It just, uh, you know, it's like when you, you hear about a series or something and people will say, eh, you know, the first season and a half kind of sucks. But really, once you get to the second half of season two, it's really good. And then there's a couple of good episodes in season three and then it kind of falls off again. But really, you should watch it. Yeah. Should okay. I? I I have an example of this that I'm, I'm curious what your guys' opinion on it is. Um. So there was a thing that I followed back when I was in college called Homestuck. It's a online. Uh... Oh sure, yeah, I know, I know Homestuck. Okay, so um, whenever I tried to get people into it, I, 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 I would have to do a thing where, like, you know, like it, it, it seems aimless for like you know the first little bit, but that's literally because it is the author. Uh, what he, what he would do is he would have like a, a forum on his website where it it was like a uh it was like a uh Joe help me out what's the uh like like you're you're locked in a room what oh you choose do? your own adventure you are you, are, yeah, you have it, thank you it, it it was like a choose your own adventure thing where he he would do like a little art piece of uh of like you know the web comic and then like describe a situation and then the first person to post like do this uh on his forum he would then do the next panel based on that so Homestuck starts out with literally no aim in mind, and then somewhere along that, you know, that interaction with, with his fans, he uh, got inspired into a larger story and took full control of the webcomic. Mm-hmm. Is that a mitigating circumstance, would you guys say? Um, I would say so, if only because that's interesting. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the the idea that you're allowing your fans to kind of set the foundation for the story you're going to tell until you actually find something that inspires you. That's uh, that's interesting. And that's something you don't really see. But um, I, I don't feel like that was Norman's. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I know that we're we're kind of prolonging the inevitable here, um, possibly. To, to David's benefit. But uh, can we just take a second? I've sent you the cover art to this to this book. Can we just look at it and just gaze into the I believe painted by the author, this image. Uh Joe, do I need you to, like this this is important to me. I need you to do me a favor and Google or just do some minor amount of research and try to find out where this cover art came from. That's sure. Yeah, and I would do probably, it myself. But probably my, something well, I should I have, have done have when I was preparing <laughs> the show notes. <laughs> Edit so much of this out. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, can confirm, painted by the author. Okay, okay. Bigger question: Does he have other art? Um, fun fact, he did a, he did a different cover originally, and it was one of the things that the reviewers were like, this cover is bad. Oh, so he painted, this is the new and improved version. Ah, well, I mean, the original cover, holy shit. (laughs) Oh, Joe, please. I got (laughs) I got you. Um, okay, first of all, 
I uh, I don't mean to be one of those people that's like, you know, like, your art's bad, you know, because, uh, you know, I, of course, can't paint. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. This robbed my thought. <laughs> it is. You know, a, we, I, I can't say this. Uh-huh. I can't say this. The second cover is an improvement. It is an upgrade. You're not wrong. The thing is, like, I I will give him credit for the sort of DIY nature of this book. Sure. Like, like, this is totally a punk rock thing that he's done. Absolutely. Super punk rock. Like, this is, I had an idea, I realized it, I made it happen. If you're hearing this, Norman, I give you credit for that. Like, you you did a thing, man. You, you, you powered through, and you built this well, empire from the ground up. Um, but lean on your friends, bro. Like, yeah. you, you got to know someone who can paint. Um, and I don't know, accept criticism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or do what most of the self-published art or authors, I'm sorry, on Amazon do. And just buy stock art. Sure, sure. I mean, this this was clearly his baby. He had something yeah. to say. Well, yeah, I, I can't disrespect that. Like, he, well, he was the little engine that could. Stock art um, may not have been, like, suitable. Like, on the original cover art, uh, there's definitely a lot of symbolism here. Like, like these, like, okay, these five stars, that means something. If, if that is some sort of, like, official military thing i don't know what that is yeah Part i don't know that's out of my field um i don't and know i believe he did serve in the military so that might be yeah well well, well you said he was a he was a dentist yeah, yeah he was an army dentist yeah um so so like there's like these things on the first cover are like this this is important stuff obviously like, I, it looks like there's some kind of like a, like a like a virus in the top left we have you know, a, a, a fighter plane, you know, these things must play some important role. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the, uh, the whole story is laid out there right on the cover. Yeah, it's like an Edgar Wright movie. Just the, the whole plot is laid out right at the beginning. And also the symbolism of Empress Teresa holding the world in her hands. Like, you know, like there's a message being sent here. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm just going to jump in here yeah, to chapter in. one. Chapter one. I'm Teresa, the younger daughter of Edward and Elizabeth Sullivan, and I hope it's not bragging to say I was cute as heck at age ten. Everybody in the family said so. I was the princess in the Sullivan clan of Framingham, or I'm sorry, Framingham, Massachusetts, because besides being cute, I was a whiz in school and had a, grit, a good disposition. All the relatives expected great things from me. I think Norman Baton really likes this character that he's created. Oh, yeah. yeah. How old is the character currently, like, talking to us? Um, we haven't found out yet. Yeah, I, maybe they're writing as an adult having these memories. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. 
Nobody could have dreamed of what I would do a few years later, and nobody would have believed it if they'd been told. Prime Minister Blair said I'd still be remembered in a million years. Did you catch that? Churchill, Hitler, and Lincoln will be footnotes in dusty history books a thousand years from now, and nobody remembers Charles Martel, who saved Christianity in Europe by winning the Battle of Tours 1,300 years ago to set up the world as we know it today, but Prime Minister Blair said I'd be remembered for a million years. Mr. Blair is not inclined to exaggerating. I was the last person you would expect to earn that accolade. I was a nobody from nowhere. When this story began, I was a little girl who didn't have much of a clue about anything. My job as a kid was to figure out what the heck was going on and what to do about it. It's not easy when you're young and everything is brand new. I'm sorry to interrupt. That, that that's just that's kind of how everybody starts out, though. You start out as a kid, not knowing what anything is or what to do about it. Yeah, does that really bear stating? Like you've established that you're you're writing about your time as a child. Like that's really all the audience needs. Like we get it. Yeah. So, okay. Um, let me just give give me just a second here because yeah. uh, we we've do- wow. Okay. So, my father once served a tour in the Navy. He said I had to be the captain of my ship, but sometimes the seas would be rough. I had to learn all I could about the world. I wondered, why should I be worrying about it in the fourth grade? I'd soon find out. We're lost in this confusing world unless we follow the directions of its maker. I did. It's the only thing that got me through. Everybody has pressures. There are two kinds. One is threats to your life and health. I had more than my share of that with a thousand assassins wanting to get me. The, the other kind saying? is bearing responsibility for other people's lives and welfare. Now, wait, That's really tough if you thousand, care about them. Is this a thousand assassins all at once? Well, probably not. And I, I'll give Norman <laughs> here credit for one thing. He is setting up like a, you want your reader to be invested in what's mm. going on. like And now we've got, okay, so this starts with a 10-year-old fourth grader who apparently does something that will make her be remembered for a million years and had assassination attempts. Um, a thousand of them. A thousand. Yeah, yeah. Like she said, a thousand assassins, not a, attempts. So like one assassin can try multiple times. So it's at least a thousand. Right, know? right. I'll be telling my own story, which is a good thing because nobody knows it as well as me. The drawback is that there are some things I can't know because I wasn't there. For example, Prime Minister Blair and President Stenson mentioned they talked to each other on the phone. They must have talked with many other heads of state, and it would be interesting to know what was said. It's a sure bet they discussed how to eliminate me if I got out of control, but I can't know any of that. It can be frustrating not knowing these things. But remember, you'll learn things in the same sequence I did. That's Somebody storytelling. Else telling my story could only say what I did in the world. They couldn't get in my head like you will. You'll see what a horrible worldwide mess I had to deal with. So, so uh, it, the audience just wouldn't know that she doesn't know things that she until wasn't she knows for. them. <laughs> that's that's narration. <laughs> yeah 
Um, it's an interesting choice, and this might just be me, to use an actual prime minister and a fictional president. I was thinking about that. I have to wonder yeah. what, okay. what's going on there. Okay, I, I, I thought that was just me. No, no. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, because I'm reading this on the computer. Um, I'm not sure how far along this would go but i mean we've been we've been at this now for a few minutes Mm -hmm. and uh so the next line is my story began quietly with no hint of what was coming i was home with my 17 year old sister Catherine, who was old enough to be my babysitter she made it possible for mom to go back to her part-time job without leaving me alone Catherine hadn't been a whiz in school like me, and she was thinking of going to one of the many trade schools around Boston after high school. Mom and Dad said I should go to college. Oops! Before going on, I have to mention an odd incident that happened six months before I was born. Mom was raking leaves in the backyard when she noticed a fox sitting on its haunches ten feet away. It was staring at her. A metal rake is a good weapon against a creature as small as a fox, and Mom held her ground. After five minutes, the fox walked away. This strange event seemed unimportant. My parents forgot about it for 18 years. Okay, Uh now I can begin my story. The story hasn't started yet, Norman? Apparently not. Um, Real quick, and you're good. uh, Also, like... Like, as, as if Norman is typing this, and he's like, oh, wait, I didn't mention the fox. Yeah, like, like it's like out, he literally Oops. forgot to put that bit in. Yeah, like, <laughs> like there, there's a thing on the keyboard called backspace. Yeah, it's fine, man. Um, also, real quick, and this might just be me listening to, to the reading, but is, did, like, are all of these sentences very similarly structured in an almost very hypnotic boring to hear way or is that just me hearing it um i mean so the next line is our house was next to a pond close to the river where all the neighborhood's kids spent many happy hours looking for turtles and frogs i was lounging on the deck reading a book on the school summer list Catherine was inside reading a magazine taking a momentary break from the book I noticed a red fox walking along the pond's edge. It disappeared behind the little patch of woods which Dad let grow wild like most of the neighbors. This was very rare. Red foxes were never seen in broad daylight during the summer months. It didn't happen. Then something really amazing happened. It came out of the woods and walked towards me. I kept still and waited to see how close it came before noticing me. It was sixty feet away. Forty. Twenty. By now, it was clear it was looking at me. Is, Dave, is Norman playing Warhammer 40,000? <laughs> it was 60 feet away, then 40 feet, then 20 feet. It was within firing range at that time. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. What? Oh, okay. Um, wow, just reading ahead here a little bit. <laughs> hey, uh, by now, it was clear it was looking at me. I considered running into the house, but curiosity won out. The fox reached the four steps of the deck. It sat, came up on the steps, stopped, and sat on its haunches, staring at me. 
It did not seem vicious, so I waited. In an instant, faster than you could blink an eye, a softball-sized white ball emerged from the fox and went straight into my stomach. Excuse me? I screamed and ran into the house. The fox ran away. I slid the glass deck door closed and locked it just in time to see the fox disappear into the woods. What did you scream for? asked Catherine, who had walked into the kitchen. There was a fox out there. He won't hurt you, she said, as it went back to the living room. I stood at the glass door for five minutes, watching for anything else that might happen. At last, I thought it was all over. I went into the living room to sit down and think. What was that white thing? I couldn't come up with any theory. It was nothing I had ever seen on those television nature programs. Perhaps it was a daydream from not eating enough. Mom had warned me about that. At age 10, I was already conscious of my weight and tried to stay skinny. I should eat something. Um, if your mother is warning you that you might have visual hallucinations from lack of like low blood sugar, I feel like that's a larger medical problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing is, like, again, I'm not going to knock so far. I'm mm -hmm. not going to knock the story. Like, I'm only half, probably ultimately four or five pages in is what this would translate into in print. Sure. And it's the sort of thing that I would keep reading. However, the the actual writing itself, mm -hmm. um, it just needs an editor. It does. There are just th that that's really what it comes down to. It just needs an edit. And like, I, I've it, and Joe to to add on to what you were saying, I've been having to make a conscious effort to stay focused. Like, are you getting the like very similarly structured sentences? Back yeah, to back to back to back to back. Yeah, it is a little bit like that, and. I feel like maybe this was one of those things where, um, you know, I'm pretty, this is not his first draft, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was the second. Sure. And that's, that's just not enough. No. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I can keep going here. There's a lot more. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what we're here for, right? That's what we, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we yeah. do. All right. We promised yeah, content. I went into the kitchen to prepare an early lunch of fried eggs, a strip of bacon, toast, and milk. I gobbled all this down in a couple of minutes and soon felt better. It was too little eating after all. Nothing had really happened. Satisfied, I walked back into the living room to find something else to do. I turned on the television and watched the late morning talk shows for a while. I heard fire trucks in the distance blaring their deep-toned sirens. These trucks could be heard from a mile away. They were coming closer and closer. Soon the sound made it obvious they were in the vicinity of our street. My intuition told me that had something to do with the white thing that jumped at me. That's a big leap. Um, yeah, weird also, assumption to make. Would, yeah. you, would you normally describe a fire engine siren as deep-toned? No, no, not now not that myself. I think about it. Yeah, now that yeah. you've said it, yeah, that's more uh. like like a like a wailing screeching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I went out the front door and waited on the lawn. The sirens were very close, and yes, there they were, turning into the street, a tanker truck and a small ladder truck. The two vehicles went halfway down the street and stopped. Already people were coming out of houses to watch the excitement. The yellow fire engines had loudspeakers that sent out vocal messages loud enough to rattle windows. A conversation was going on between the firemen and the station. What do you have? 115 degrees here, a fireman shouted. It's 70 here. Yup, we have something. A crowd of neighbors was gathering near the confused firemen. I walked over to join the onlookers. What's going on? I asked one of my girlfriends. They're looking for a fire. The girl's father said the temperature jumped up in a few minutes. Somebody called the fire department. What what fuck? It was hot. It was nice a little while ago. I thought it over. A fox appears in daylight, which never happens. It comes up practically to my feet. The white thing jumps into me, and the firemen look for a fire that doesn't exist. So all on, this David, happened I'm, I'm within sorry. an hour. There had to be a connection. Oh, the, the ambient what? temperature got it got hotter outside. There is no fire. <laughs> But nice. just the ambient temperature of the neighborhood got warmer. No, 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 no. Not just got warmer. Um, the fireman said 115 degrees. That's not a little like. Yeah, oh, like I don't know it, much of thermodynamics, but I feel like that's a larger concern. It depends on what, like what thing they were using to to measure this like like what how how did they localize the the, the temperature <laughs> raise well I, i'm assuming that they have thermometers is is that the thing like that like somebody just had a thermometer hanging outside and then it just the red went up real high and frosty the snowman melted i mean <laughs> I, I feel like uh I feel like you would notice if it had been 70 degrees and suddenly it was 115. Sure. Because you'd fucking die. Yeah, <laughs> that is a very yeah, spontaneous rise. And yeah, that would have some physiological effects probably. Right. Okay. Um, um, don't call the fire department. Call the X-Files. Right. Before long... The fire chief arrived in his yellow sedan. He asked the lead fireman if anything had been found. Then they walked over somebody's property to look at the pond. Nothing there. Could it be a ground fire? The fireman asked the chief. Not likely with water over there unless there's a rock ledge underneath. We have to check it out. Thermistor probes were brought from the station, and firemen spent the rest of the morning pushing the probes a few inches into the ground to check the temperature. They did this on everyone's lawn, the area inside the turnaround at the end of the street, and finally went into people's backyards. They found nothing. At one o'clock, the temperature in our neighborhood had dropped back down to 80 degrees. The firemen gave up and left. I was young and inexperienced, but I wasn't a dumbbell. If people found out what happened today, they'd pester me about it forever. My cousin Mary was diagnosed a schizophrenic, and the whole Sullivan clan was biting their nails, waiting for the gene to show up in some other family member. 
it wasn't going to be me, I resolved to never tell anybody. Teresa, you just had a visual hallucination. They'd think I was ill like Cousin Mary. I didn't need it. I do actually like this line of reasoning for why she wouldn't tell anyone, though. Like that, like I, I could see that. I could see someone. I could see someone having a like a hallucination and like, oh god, like maybe I'm like that. I, I don't want to be that. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's fair. You enough. know, you're especially at whatever eight or ten, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's. Uh, that is the first scene still in the first chapter mind you but that's the first like we break from and now two days later i woke up early and walked into the living room mom was looking intently out the window what's going on i asked there's some men parked down next to the turnaround they've been there all night I looked, and sure enough, a van and a four-door sedan were parked in the turnaround where they could see every house on the street. Mrs. Gagnon said a police car stopped to talk to them at 2 a.m., said Mom. They showed IDs, and a little later, the police left. Dad woke up and heard the same story. As Mom and Dad got ready for work, another police car came around the street but left without stopping. Other people left for work. The morning wore on. The mail truck came by at 10. I walked out to get the mail while Catherine was in her room. Two minutes later, after I got back in the house, the car and van drove away. They had spotted me. How did they know about me? What do you mean they spotted you? You're there. You live in the house. Also, if she's concerned about schizophrenia, this is a little bit of paranoia. A little bit. Yeah, so... Uh, um, jury's out here, Teresa. I'm thinking maybe you should go in and get tested, kid. Yeah. You know, that that's actually going to be a thing that's going to come up throughout this entire book, isn't it? That, like, schizophrenia is in, is potentially in her genetics. Like, maybe there's going to be, like, a fight club twist, like it was all in her mind the whole time. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm really confused by everything that just happened. Like, there were you know, black vans in the cul-de-sac observing the neighborhood. She came outside and just out of the living room and just lived her life for a minute. They drove away and she was just like, oh, fuck, they saw me. That, that's... Did I miss something? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, aside from that, yeah, like that's just weird paranoia. But Yeah, that, that really just ramps things up. Like, okay, um... <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody about this weird white ball that popped out of a fox into me, mm. but like we still, you have no reason. The, the, the character of Teresa has no reason in this to have any idea what that is, what it signifies. You know, it's one thing if the audience is not certain mm-hmm. and obviously there's something about it, but, why does she have any reason to be afraid that people are coming for her? Yeah, she just kind of jumped to that conclusion. And, like, the weird ambient temperature leap Yeah, is yeah, part that's... of it somehow. I, I don't know. So this, this is interesting here. <laughs> I sat on the sofa thinking for a while. I felt I was being watched. Or was somebody listening? 
I spotted the phone. Was somebody listening on the phone? I dialed zero for the operator. Operator, how may I help you? Can I have the number for Alice Pizza in Framingham? One moment, please. Ten seconds later, another woman said, Alice Pizza, 555-8402. Thanks. I hung up. So they weren't listening. What? Uh, how would... What? And, the, and again, this is very schizoid. Yeah. Thing. like The weekend arrived. Mom and I went to Boston to shop in the Washington Street shopping district. We drove down to the Boston Commons underground parking garage. I thought I saw some car come in right behind us and park close to our car. We got up to the surface and a man followed us. We went to the Barnes & Noble bookstore first because if we bought something, it would be small and easy to carry the rest of the day. I don't know if I we looked needed through the books. We, we did not need that. No. <laughs> I looked through the books on sale and thought I saw a different man watching me. Barnes & Noble had two floors. I'm going upstairs, Mom, I said. And again, you probably could have just said, I'm going upstairs and trusted that your audience would understand that that meant the store had an upstairs. Yeah. There was an escalator to the second floor. I went along the wall, stopping now and then, pretending to look at books, that that sa and that same man from downstairs always seemed to be close to me. He was spying on me. Later, um, we went I'm to sorry, McDonald's. Before we go on this journey, did he just tell us there's an escalator to the second floor? Just, yes. just sandwiched in between two other sentences. There's an escalator in the in this Barnes and Noble bookstore. Well, Which isn't uncommon no. at all. Like, yeah, no, you know, like it's pretty it standard. Like that whole sentence could have just been cut out of the book and nothing would have changed. No, but Joe, how would we know that it was an escalator? Yeah. The audience would be left to wonder. And uh, would... did she throw a grappling hook and climb and <laughs> rappel to the second? Like, we don't know, Norman. You, you gotta tell us there's an escalator or stairs. Oh, man. Later, we went to McDonald's, and I spotted another man who walked behind us into the restaurant. He was there as long as we were, and after we left, I looked back, and he was coming out, too. But he stopped at a corner. Another man, standing on the corner, started walking in our direction. We got back home, and Mom took things into the bedroom. I dialed the operator again. Operator, how may I help you? Can you give me the number for Alice Pizza in Framingham? One moment, please. I waited. And waited. And waited. A full minute passed by, and she hadn't come up with the number yet. I hung up the phone. Now they knew I knew. What? 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 Okay. what? So, okay, maybe... Maybe there's something to that that I don't know. Like... I'm I'm a full-grown man, 40, 41 years old, and if I thought my phone was tapped, I don't know, like, I, I never would have thought calling the operator and asking for a line would indicate that the phone was, that's just not something yeah. I know. Yeah, like, how that does sounds an, absurd. How does a 10-year-old know that? Right. Like, it is possible that Norman knows something that we don't about how wiretaps work. 
Right. Um, That's and, part and of his life so, experience. Sure. Yeah. Likelihood of that is high considering he's been in the military. That may have been something covered. Maybe. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying, you know, like. But, but uh, how does Teresa know that? Precisely. Precisely. And also explaining how Teresa knows that would explain that to the audience. And right. And the audience would know. Right. Maybe he could have added that in instead of, you know, escalators. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Just, Just a, a thought. thought. While I was young, I had some feeble ideas of what this all meant. My life wasn't going to be like that of other kids. I had to think like somebody important, somebody with responsibilities. I was something special. Maybe I was dangerous, or that was what the government was thinking. Someday, they would come around and talk to me. I wasn't stupid enough to think they would just watch me for the rest of my life. Yeah, so far what I'm getting from this is Teresa is a severely troubled child. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe if her parents had said, you know, we, we might have some things in our family history. If you're experiencing symptoms, you can talk to us and we won't judge you and not taught her to live in fear. Um, then maybe this would have all gone a different way. <sighs> Two days later, Mom took me to a nearby strip mall. There was a DVD movie rental store. I looked around for the classic movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. A film every 10-year-old loves. Oh, yes. We we know she's a real smart kid. (laughs) They'd shown it on television a couple months ago. I played and replayed the parts of the movie where the astronauts talked to Hal. The most chilling scene was when astronaut Dave Bauman left the ship, left the spaceship in a pod to retrieve the body of his dead astronaut partner drifting through space. When he flew back to the spaceship, he said one of Hollywood's most famous lines. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. But the spaceship's computer, Hal, wouldn't open the door. It was a creepy scene. The summer days rolled by. I saw the watchers following me everywhere. Mom did most wait, of her. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no. Uh, no, hang on. <laughs> What's the connective tissue? It was just in there. It, yeah, maybe and we'll also, get to it. Maybe, maybe, but you know. <laughs> and also, um, I understand that, like, you know, if, if you want to reference something, you know, and you know, it, it's a very powerful thing. It, one of the things that can completely take the power out of, like, a scene or a part in a book or any kind of story is you trying to convey that yourself with your own words and, like, spoiling the scene because you can't do it justice. Yeah, and also remind your audience of the much more interesting thing they could be watching than reading your book. (laughs) (laughs) The summer days rolled by. I saw the watchers following me everywhere. Mom did most of her grocery shopping on Saturday, and I usually went with her because Catherine wandered off with her friends. While Mom was talking to the meat counter clerk, I went down the breakfast cereal aisle to choose something. Hi, Teresa. 
Some woman I didn't know was standing next to me. She looked to be in her early 20s and had a friendly smile. Hi, I said with a young kid's taciturnity. Do you have a cell phone? Yeah. Call me when you're alone. She handed me a piece of paper with a phone number. Um, red flag. Red flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When your mom isn't around. <laughs> the woman knew that I knew about my watchers. I had often stared at them. So this woman also knew I had to think she was one of them, and I had to be curious enough to talk to her. When we got back home, I went to my room and called the number. My curiosity about the watchers overcame my wish to keep Hal secret. Wait. I, what, what? What the what? fuck what? is Hal? When did Hal happen? The, the, is the white ball Hal? Apparently that's the connection we were supposed to make as readers. Um, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, unless I missed something. I wanted to know how they knew about me. The woman answered. Her spies must have told her I was home. Hi, said the cheerful woman. I'm Jan Struthers from the United States government. Are you just, alone? Just from the government. Just the government. <laughs> yeah. Are you? You know I'm not. There are 60 people with me in this room. Can we talk? My childhood was over. All I wanted was an ordinary life like everybody else. It looked like I wouldn't get it. Um, I call into question any government organization that's apparently observing and tailing this child and can be easily spotted. <laughs> yeah you're not good spies if, no. if that's if you if can be that easy to, yeah well i mean maybe hal told her maybe maybe it was the white ball that uh maybe, yeah maybe that, that, that again yeah. i still disagree that the white ball is hal <laughs> i don't know what else it could me be that. i it, like does she want to keep a secret that she likes 2001 of Space Odyssey? <laughs> so can we talk about what? About your little secret. We know it. Red I thought about that. <laughs> Everybody had secrets. Talking to this woman wouldn't be admitting mine. Something happened to you to make those fire trucks come to this neighborhood. You were giving off a lot of heat. We know you were because we saw it all around you. What happened before the fire trucks came? I don't have to tell you anything, do I? Jan Struthers maintained her friendly attitude. No, you don't. But it will make things a lot easier if you tell us something. We're not going away. We will be spying on you from now on. We have to. Whatever That's, happened it's is not very important. Anymore. It's monitoring. <laughs> you don't know anything that happened? We know a lot. Something from outer space came to Earth seven years ago. We've been looking for it ever since. That heat you were giving off has to have something to do with that thing from outer space. I considered that. Jan Struthers gave me a moment and then brought out a point. There is nothing natural to Earth that could have caused that heat. The thing from space did it. 
We watched you rent that movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey. You're aware of that thing. What happened before the fire trucks came? Fucking what? 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 There was no use denying something happened. They already knew. I saw a fox walking near the water. It came up close to me, and a white thing jumped out of it. That's all. Where did the white thing go? In me. How big was this white thing? Like a softball. I I knew he was going to use softball again. I just knew it. Did it come from the fox? Yep, came right out. What part of the fox? The stomach? How did it jump out at you? It moved in my stomach. I wasn't very enthusiastic about telling the story. Jan Struthers had to force it out of me one tiny piece at a time. How long did that take? Like that. I snapped my fingers at the phone. Did you feel anything? Nope. Did this white ball look like solid, like a steel ball? Nope. Fuzzy like cotton. What happened then? I ran into the house and waited. Then I ate breakfast. I thought I was going crazy. How long after the white ball jumped at you did the fire trucks come? Half an hour. Did the white thing change you in any way? No. Does it make sounds or talk to you? No. Have you seen it again? No. It's like it went away. How have you been eating lately? Like I always do. With my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Jan took a break to think about what else she should ask. This was the most important interview since Moses came down the mountain. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to come in to talk to some smart people and figure out what this thing is? I didn't do anything. All right. She dropped that line immediately. You rented 2001, A Space Odyssey. What did it show you? It showed me don't talk to this thing. It's like talking to the devil. Do you have a name for it? Hal. Like the computer. The monolith was the alien, not the computer. The monolith didn't talk. Does Hal talk? No. It's a good idea not to try to talk to it. Don't stir it up. What is Hal? We don't know. We saw it seven years ago, but haven't seen or heard about it since. You're the only one who's seen it. Does it come from space? Probably, but that may not be bad. This thing may never do anything. I think that covers everything. I have to emphasize how important it is to tell nobody about this. Don't give a hint to anybody. If you talk to somebody, they will too, and you will never be able to live the life you want. No college, no job, no marriage, no friends. You'll have to stay at home all the time. This is the last thing we want. A lot of people are trying to keep this secret. What if one of my watchers talks? Most of our people don't know why they're watching you. Only the people at the top know. I'm one of the few people who knows you give off heat. Without knowing that, nobody can prove you have anything to do with Hal. That's the biggest secret. Without knowing about the heat, they can't spot you or suspect anything. Don't those 60 people know about me? Pause. Pause. (laughs) What is one of the most common symptoms of being sick. 
a fever. You're telling me that she's gone this whole time and her parents who hug and kiss her haven't gone, oh, you're you're warm. You're literally hot enough to start fires with your skin. <laughs> <laughs> you're 115. No, you're hot enough to make the ambient temperature in the area mm. 115 degrees. Which makes you yeah, like a, hotter. Yeah, like at the source, yeah. Also, like, I'm just... I, it, yeah. Um, just know. I... Like, I... I still would love to know how they can tell like like do like is it a satellite that's taking like uh thermographic whatever it's called like images of the earth and they're like oh look at this heat pocket here i I can only assume um Uh. <laughs> yeah and it just it, it's we're about halfway mm. through the first chapter at this point by the way um <clears throat> that it's it's and uh i don't know if i can keep going <laughs> yeah like that's fine um it's it's like it's like uh, what, uh what's the author's name again joe norman bouton it's like norman was like hey can you hold this for me and we were like sure we Pit me, you know, take it in our arms. Like, oh, this isn't too bad. And he, he like keeps adding more stuff onto it, and just more and more. And, and it just piles and like, up. Yeah, yeah. Like, and just when does I, this end? I, I, I feel it's important at this point to also remind you guys that before we started, there was an author's note where Norman specifically said, "None of this is actually important to the story." The story itself doesn't start until chapter four. And we're only halfway through chapter one. What's in chapters two and three? How much is this book? Because I need to find out. I'll follow up. Um, Yeah, maybe a few episodes down the line we'll at least finish. We'll do part two and finish chapter one. (laughs) Um, So... I mean, and and it's kind of implied. Like, I think we've kind of gotten there. Um, Do you think that this book is as bad as multiple forum commenters and Amazon reviewers seem to think it was? Like, are you going to finish this book on your own time? What's our collective opinion about Empress Teresa? You know, (laughs) at first I was like, yeah, they were being real rough on this. And it, you know. I again I was I was starting it and I'm thinking it's not as bad you know this isn't the worst thing this isn't the verbal or you know liter- literary equivalent of the room that's right. that's not what's happening here but halfway through chapter 1 when our 10-year-old main character who apparently magically has a cell phone that didn't come up prior to um, is given a phone number by a representative of the U S government and makes a call to the U S government 
and has a nice little conversation about an alien object that came out of a fox into her stomach. Mm-hmm. And they don't just fucking kidnap her. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm sorry, but I'm willing to believe alien ball from space jumps out of a spot fox into a kid's stomach. Sure. Yeah. I'm a big nerd. Like, I'll take the journey up to a certain point. But I'm not willing to believe that they're not going to just come and get her. Yeah. At like, that point. That they're going to do that. Like, yeah. that's what's going to happen. They're not just going to let her live her life. Mm-hmm. She's going to be taken either, you know, some thing is going to be drummed up and they're going to tell her parents that she's an honor scholar and they're going to come and take her and put her in a lab somewhere and run tests on her without her even knowing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Or barring that, if the parents don't sign off, they're just going to send vans in the night. Right. And like, let's be well, honest here. That's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, theoretically, um, this, okay. So we know that this thing is from outer space. Mm-hmm. This could be some sort of invasive alien thing. It could, it, the, the possibility of it being lethal to the planet as a whole is completely within. Yeah. Like, given the, the temperature, like, just if you could extract it as an energy source. Right. And I think, you know, again, I, I, I fall back on. Honestly, I think there are some interesting things here. There mm-hmm. are some elements of this. I'd be I'd be tempted to give the whole thing a read. Right. You know, like just to find out where it's going and see what what what's going to happen here. But mm-hmm. but it really just it just needs an edit. It just needs, you know, this this book could be half its length. Mm-hmm. I'm certain Oh yeah. And I don't know where the fuck 2001 a space odyssey came in. Like that just kind of happened. Uh, I'm willing uh-huh. to shell out the money to find out what, like what to keep going. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay, I'll pay for this. Book. I mean, the, I mean, absolutely do that. But are you prepared to give Norman Bhutan money? Absolutely. Um, yeah, just, fair just, enough. Um, like, I don't know if I am. <laughs> I mean, he's probably not like a terrible guy. I mean, he sounds kind of like he sounds foolish, but he doesn't sound like it, like uh, ill-willed. Sure. No, uh, and I think he seems know, very he... thin-skinned based on like the whole review controversy. Thin-skinned and definitely faith-forward. Like this is a person yeah, yeah. has a very strong belief. And I think this book was uh, his way of writing at least 400 pages of a manifesto on his belief of how people should behave, which is, sure. which are, which are my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're like, like C.S. Lewis, I can kind of like get away with because he's a pretty good writer. It's fine. Like, you know, have your allegory. Like, we get it. But Norman Bhutan maybe, maybe shouldn't be given that power. <laughs>
Any copyrighted content contained within this podcast is used for purposes of review. Brainworms Podcast is David Combs, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. Editing and post-production by David Combs. Art provided by Kane Magdalene. The theme music is HodgePod Number 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, please support us on Patreon or Ko-Fi, or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app. 